Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You who are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth the one to be the ruler of Israel. Note the way it's worded. Doesn't say a ruler is going to come from you. Out of you is going to come the one who will rule Israel. That's a reference to the Messiah. And then it says, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. We can follow Jesus with all confidence because the scriptures confirm over and over again that He is Messiah. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are looking at the many Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. We're visiting many Old Testament spots today, but we're also going to be in Luke 24. That's where we started yesterday. And here comes more, part two of our teaching with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. We had at our apologetics conference, we had Frank Turek with us. How many of you guys were here when he, when he was here? One of the things that, that Frank Turek will do, he goes into colleges and he debates students. And the students come in with all the questions their professors have and he debates them. And when he finds one that's just particularly antagonistic, and I've heard him do this before, watched him on his videos on YouTube, he'll say, if Christianity were true, would you believe it? And I've never heard him say, one of the kids say, yeah, sure. They all say no. And that just reveals their heart. They are not, they are not searchers. They don't want to know the truth. If Christianity were true, would you believe it? No, I'd stand against it. So then that, that gives you the heart they're going to come against things in the Bible because they don't, they don't want it to be true. I spoke with a skeptic not long after that and I asked him the same question and he goes, of course I would want to know the truth. And I said, that's great because that shows that at least he's open, that if there's some evidence, he's going to go, yeah. And I would just say, if you're a skeptic and you're listening to this and that's possible, Maybe you're listening and, and you're just thinking, what a, what, what a bunch of hogwash, these Christians, they're so brainwashed. you got all that stuff going on in your mind. I would just say to you a little bit of humility. Approach God's word with some humility because God responds to humility. And maybe you'll look at the evidence and be overwhelmed with it and find yourself walking in the truth instead of being opposed to something just because you think it's not the truth. If, if you are a critic, I'm going to say you probably do not have a good understanding as to what Christianity is. You think you know what it is, but you do not have a good idea of what Christianity is. So slow and hard to believe, O oh foolish ones. How much time did I use for that? Too much. Um, and so then he explains to them from beginning with Moses, verse 27, he expounded to them the scriptures concerning himself. And I've never heard this passage taught or taught this passage where we haven't said, I wish we had that. But we have the Old Testament. We can go back and we can look. And so in verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would go further. And I think Jesus would have. Had they not invited him in, he would have went further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with them and it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Now, first of all, he responded to their invitation. And I want to say that Jesus will always respond to our invitations. When we go to him, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, when we go to Christ or when we say to him, Lord, I want you in my life. Come walk with me. I want to know you more. I want to know you better. Those are the kind of things Jesus responds to. 
if we don't give those invitations, he moves on because he's looking. We have that. We have the power over the door of our lives and we open it up to receive him and to invite him in. Not only when we're born again, but also as Christians, how involved do you want Jesus in your life? You can get him very involved, which is the greatest blessings of all. Or you can say, I can guard this little part of my life. I want Jesus kind of on the outskirts of my life. And so Jesus went in. Secondly, again, I've heard people say, well, they, they knew it was Jesus because they saw his wrists. They'll go through the big thing. You break the bread and you give them the bread and you can see the nail prints. And so they know it's Jesus. The, the text tells us we don't have to we don't have to guess like that. What does the text say? Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. God had restrained their eyes. Now God opened their eyes. It's funny how many things that we get caught up in in studies that we don't need to talk about. Even talking about what other people teach. I don't need to talk about it, but I am. And he vanished from their sight, which, of course, is the case, right? Jesus, their eyes are open. They're like, Jesus, poof. He's gone. And so it says, they said to one another, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us and while he opened the scriptures to us? If we'll have an honest, open heart, I believe that our hearts will burn within us as the scriptures are open to us and that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And so it says, then they rose that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem. Of course, what would you do? They ran back to the disciples to tell them they'd seen Jesus and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And we don't have that account anywhere. We have Jesus appearing to Simon in the Sea of Galilee later, but we don't have this account. And I kind of like that. There was a private meeting between Jesus and Peter after the denial of Jesus by Peter. Some things are just personal between us and Jesus. And I like that. Some things are nunya. Nunya business. It's between us and God. And verse 35, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And there's so much made of that. And it's powerful that Jesus is known in the breaking of the bread. And I think it's a picture. Some speak of communion. And yes, that we have the broken bread. And as we commune with Christ, he's known in the breaking of the bread. But, but breaking of bread is dinner, it's fellowship. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and invites me in, I'll come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. I often say it's not what you know about God that saves you, it's what you, it's what you, it's knowing him that saves you. That's what breaking of bread does. When you have, when you have a meal with people you love, maybe haven't seen in a while, it's just the greatest thing. You just get together with the meal and you laugh and you catch up. It's just absolutely fantastic. Now, meals with people you don't like so much is not so fun. <laughs> but people who you really like and you're catching up with can be just incredibly powerful. And so that happens. Now, let's go in and consider some of the things Jesus might have said. I, I find that the Old Testament has a category of three things. It has prophecies, and, and these prophecies are foretelling certain things the Messiah would fulfill. And you've got to know Hebrew prophecy to understand them all. This is important because sometimes you read, someone will say there's 350 uh, prophecies Jesus fulfilled. So you go, you go to your computer and you look up the prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And then you start going over them 
and they're not a one-for-one -one correlation. And we're so used to one-for-one -one correlations. For example, Daniel says that 483 years after the command to rebuild and restore the walls of Jerusalem would be the Messiah and he would be cut off. And so you have the command to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem by Artaxerxes. There's a couple other options, but they're close enough by you could use any of them. And you go 483 years later and the Messiah is on the earth. And Jesus told them, you didn't know this day, the day of your visitation. You should have known when the Messiah was here. That's a one for one cor correlation. We're told when the Messiah would be here. We look at it, the Messiah was there. Then there's partial fulfillment prophecies where a prophecy is given. It's partially fulfilled by someone, but there's supernatural parts of it that aren't fulfilled until Jesus comes along. We just have to understand prophecy, Hebrew prophecy. The same thing would be true if you're studying Nostradamus. If you want to know Nostradamus' prophecies, you start to read them. It's a bunch of gobbledygook. And so someone would have to sit down. You have to go through a class or you have to do some reading on, on how people interpret Nostradamus' stuff because it's not really easy to do. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, you would just have to understand Hebrew prophecy. That's all. And we've got a ton of it. We've got the way they interpreted the Old Testament in the New Testament. They tell you the prophecies, many of them Jesus fulfilled. Some of them are one-for-one -one correlations and some of them are partial fulfillments of prophecy. Some of them were spoken to someone else but had a, a little part of it that, was, that couldn't be him. Like in Psalms um, 16, I think it's verse 10, where it says, you, and talking about David, you will not allow your Holy One. Uh, he, he says, um, you will not allow your, your, uh, the Holy One to remain in the grave or your Holy One to see corruption. And, and, and when you read it, it's obviously part of it is David, but there's one line that can't be David. It's gotta be the Messiah. Just one line in that phrase. And so you learn those kind of things. Now, having said that, you gotta know these things. Let me just give you a couple of prophecies that are pretty amazing. It's funny, the prophecies that I chose are the ones that say that he is God as well. Micah 5.2, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. This is a one-for-one one correlation that the scriptures say the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. By himself, not that impressive. Many people are born in Bethlehem. But with other passages that are included, like he would be called out of Egypt, that he would be called a Nazarite. How many people born in Bethlehem were also called out of Egypt? How many of them were from the tribe of Judah? How many of them were from the family of David? All those one-for-one -one correlations, they all add up to be, well, it's very few people who could fulfill it. And he fulfills a great number of those one-for-one -one correlations. Micah 5.2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, you prophet, and you know this one fairly well because of Christmas, you who are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth the one to be the ruler of Israel. Note the way it's worded. doesn't say a ruler is going to come from you. Out of you is going to come the one who will rule Israel. That's a reference to the Messiah. And then it says, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And then it tells us that he was preexistent. So many of the prophecies are like that. They tell us a prophecy and what's going to happen. And then they tell us something about the one who is the Messiah. And that he is, he is God, that he's supernatural. I'll give you another one that you're familiar with. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, I give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a child, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Behold, I'm going to give you a sign. 
A virgin's going to conceive. And I understand there are a lot of arguments. People try to say, well, that word doesn't mean virgin. But if it doesn't mean virgin, then why behold and what's the sign? Right? Behold, I give you a sign. A woman who's not a virgin is going to bear a child. Doesn't work. Doesn't fit. Behold, I give you a sign. And by the way, the Septuagint used the word virgin. The Septuagint was written 250 years before the time of Christ. And the Septuagint is the Greek copy of the Hebrew Old Testament. And it used the Greek word for virgin. That's how they saw it. They knew it wasn't just a, a maiden in Israel was a virgin. That's just what they were talking about. And so to say, well, he's just talking about a girl. So that's their arguments against it. But notice that it says he is from everlasting. Let me give you one more that's like that because this one is so, this one's absolutely fascinating. Actually, that's in the promises. Um, surely he would have gone over Psalm 22, first person account of a, of a suffering crucified person. Certainly would have gone over Isaiah 53, the suffering Messiah dying for the sins of the world. These are prophecies telling us what he would do, and he did. Not only are there prophecies, but there were promises. The, the one promise that I've got here to start with is the first prophecy in the Bible as well, and it's, it's a promise that is given to Satan. Think of that. A promise in the Word of God to the devil. Here's what it says. He's speaking to the devil who has deceived Adam and Eve, specifically Eve, and, and God says, and I will put enmity between you, between you and the woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman. My mom told me when I was a kid, this is the reason that women were afraid of snakes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Guys aren't afraid of snakes, but women are afraid of them because there's enmity between snakes and women. I don't, I don't know if that's true. And then he says, and between your seed and her seed, now, the seed of Satan would be the spiritual host in wickedness. Principalities, powers, the spiritual host in wickedness. Our seed would be people. There would be enmity. We would have an enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in spiritual places. We have a very real enemy, and we battle against them. This prophesied that. But then it says, he, this is the first entrance of the Messiah, he will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Some translations say he will crush your head because the word's not the same and he will bruise your heel. Colossians 2.15 let us know that he made an open spectacle of demonic forces when he died on the cross. That was the bruising of his heel because he would live, but Satan was crushed and destroyed on the cross. He's dead, he just doesn't know it yet. He's finished, he just, he just doesn't know it yet. Genesis 22, 18 gave us a promise that in the offspring of Abraham, all of the world was going to be blessed. Think about that promise. It's a promise and a prophecy as well. As well. But it's amazing because what if the whole world wasn't blessed by Jesus? What if one of the offspring of Abraham did not bless the entire world? But the fact that we're here in Tucson, Arizona, and we are, we are being blessed by the Messiah fulfills that promise. There are so many more that were like it. Here's one that is amazing. Psalms 45, 6. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. We would think of that as the Ancient of Days, but it's not talking about the Ancient of Days. It says, a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. 
And then it says, therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions and anointed you with the oil of joy. The anointing is the Messiah. He's anointed you with the oil of joy. And the Messiah in Psalms 45 verse 7 is called God. God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy. It's a promise of a throne that will last forever and that God will set God upon the throne. And here we have in the Old Testament this idea of a complex God. This is something I want to do in our Alpha and Omega series is take a look at the complexity of God. Because it's, it's not so, people say it's always, always we, can't, we can't think of it. It's really not so high we can't figure it out. Yes, it's different than anything else that we have. There's no comparison, but it's not so high we can't figure it out. I heard someone here say recently there's two powers in heaven. This is one of those verses that speak of it. God, your God, has anointed you. And in Daniel 7, you've got the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory and sitting on a throne and sharing on the throne forever and ever with the Father. It's two powers in heaven. These are Old Testament scriptures. These are not New Testament scriptures. Psalms 2 says in verse 7, I will declare the decree the Lord has said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's again an Old Testament passage that says that God's going to have a begotten son. And then he gives you this advice in verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in your way. In other words, make things right with him, develop an affectionate relationship with Jesus lest he be angry at you and you perish. And then he goes on to say, same, same verse, when his wrath is kindled only a little bit, you might perish when his wrath is kindled only a little bit. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Old Testament passage. He's gonna, there's gonna be a begotten son and the advice is kiss the son because you don't wanna see him angry. Anyone who trusts in him is gonna be blessed. This is Old Testament stuff. Now there's a, the last section, as I run, run out of time, is pictures. There's prophecies, there's promises, and there are pictures. And the pictures are multiple in the Old Testament. There's so many of them, you can't even begin to grasp them. I'll give you an idea of what some of the pictures might be. The Passover lamb is a picture of the Messiah. Jesus is the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. He died when all of the other Passover lambs died. At the very moment the Passover lambs were dying, he died. As they spread blood on their doorposts and mantles at the first Passover, the death angel passed over. As we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives, the death angel passes over. It's a perfect picture. And I love that the Old Testament is full of messianic pictures because we learn best by pictures, right? We could talk about the angel of the Lord and we will in depth at points where the angel of the Lord appears in a burning bush and when Moses gets near, the angel says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. And then Moses says to the angel, who should I say sent me? And the angel says, tell them I am that I am has sent you. Tell them Yahweh has sent you. Wait a minute, it was the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. Same thing with Gideon. The angel of the Lord talks with Gideon and then says the angel of the Lord said, and then pretty soon it says Yahweh said. When you read the text, like, well, who's talking? The angel of the Lord or Yahweh? Or are we talking about the complexity of God? that God is indeed three in one, and you find that revealed over and over again in the Old Testament. Melchizedek is a picture of Christ. Melchizedek shows up to Abraham 
when he delivers Lot from being taken captive by kings and Melchizedek has wine and bread with him. Right away, that'll make you go, huh, I wonder if Melchizedek's a type of Jesus. Then you learn, learn his name is king of, king of Peace. Huh, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Then you learn that his name is King of Righteousness in Hebrews and you go, Jesus' name is the King of Righteousness. And then you learn that Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had to him. You just don't run up to people you meet, even if they're powerful people. Here, I have a tenth of everything I got. And then it says Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And then we learn in Hebrews that Jesus is a high priest by the order of Melchizedek. There's all these pictures. There's the angel of the Lord, the Melchizedek, the Passover lamb, the feasts. We could talk about the seven feasts and Jesus fulfilled them. The sacrifices of, of Leviticus. Those are some of my favorite. The ark, Noah's ark, the Bible, the New Testament says, is a type of Jesus. Just as they went into the ark and were saved, we go into Jesus and we are saved. The Ark of the Covenant, the New Testament tells us, is a type of Jesus. As the presence was there at the Ark of the Covenant, as the blood was sprinkled on it, this speaks of Jesus and the sprinkling of his blood for the forgiving of sins. The bronze serpent in the wilderness. Jesus himself said, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's a picture of Christ. Joseph, the, the character at the end of the book of Genesis, is a picture of Christ. And the list doesn't stop. Joshua. You've got Joshua. Jesus' Hebrew name is Joshua. And you've got Joshua who was a type of Jesus that brings the children of Israel into the promised land. There's so much of it that's so, so incredibly overwhelming to those who are ready to hear. To those who say, Lord, show me. To those who are humble and are really searching after God. There are plenty of critics and people who won't believe no matter what. People say, well, I could, I could go into the Old Testament and I could find prophecies that would back up Muhammad. And, and here recently I heard a pastor give a great response to that. He said, okay, I'll take you up on that. You go through the Old Testament, you find prophecies that Muhammad could have fulfilled. And I'll find what I believe are the best prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And we'll compare the quality of the two. And there will be no comparison. It's not just that there's a bunch of happenstance that just happens to fit into the life of Jesus. It's these very deliberate things that not only does the Bible prophesy possible things that can happen, but it prophesies the impossible. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus is the Holy One who was risen from the dead. The impossible. And there are so many that are like that. That we would trust in him and know that if we'll search the scriptures, I think, I think there's so much more for us to discover. I think there's so much more for me to discover that my heart burns inside of me at the thought of studying the scriptures and finding those amazing truths. And I hope yours do as well. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we take time to look at your word. It really is rich and we really are moved by it. And we consider all of those Old Testament passages which were given to us as reasonable evidence that you are the Messiah. And we surrender our lives to you in new, fresh ways. And I pray for those who are here who have never made a commitment to you or those who have, have drifted away or walked away that you would bring them back now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.